Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. So good to have everybody here today. I want to begin today by just thinking about something that happened here last evening. You know, it's we come into this this space each Sunday morning, not necessarily always knowing what's happened just in the days or the hours before, but but just last evening we celebrated a wedding right here, as we do very often on weekends here at the church. But it was a very nice wedding. It was the wedding of Yalen Lee and Aldrin Jonko, and it was their families gathered here with their friends, and it was just a beautiful night of love and celebration. Yalen and, and Aldrin met here while they were both serving at Fort Sam and became attached to our church as we became attached to them. It's just a wonderful time to come together and celebrate that wedding. And, and you know, I just, I've got to say that because of that, I'm thinking very much about love this morning. Becky mentioned that, that this uh, Wednesday is not only Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, but it's also Valentine's Day. So Becky, thank you for inviting everybody to bring a date. That should that should double our attendance for uh, for our Ash Wednesday service. Um, but, but, but here's what I wanted to just mention. I want to ask you guys, and, and, and gentlemen, I'm looking particularly at you. Do you have your Valentine's Day thing together yet? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if any people have it together yet. I, uh, one guy doesn't, and, uh, and, and I bet you he's a step ahead of the rest of us. But, but again, you know, Valentine's Day is, is a paradox. I mean, it's, it's a day that is normally set aside for, for the celebration of love. It's, it's a day that normally reserved people set aside to make bold demonstrations of love and romance. I mean, flowers and chocolates and cards and jewelry and intimate rendezvous and dancing and poetry, all to express love and lust and the fact that even when we are at our Calvinist best, those two things are not all that far apart. I mean, consider our love is like a red, red rose that's newly sprung in June Oh, my love is like the melody that sweetly played in June. So fair art thou, my bonnie lad, so deep in love am I. And I will love thee still, my dear, till all the seas gung dry. I mean, nobody talks like that anymore. At least not on the day and the day, uh, the day before and the day after Valentine's Day. But on February 14th, everyone is expected to love and sound like Robert Burns. Now, in recent years, thanks to the advent of Instagram and other social media, I've noticed that everything from wedding proposals to prom invitations to even Valentine's Day dinners have been getting more and more elaborate. I mean, setting up a special surprise meal at a restaurant with flowers and violinists and having friends serenade her and getting, on, getting an airplane to write, Will you marry me in the sky? Or maybe having, having an expression of love put up on the billboard or, or on a scoreboard at a football or basketball game. Even choosing the perfect evening to deliver that little velvet box while the sun sets over the lake and your best friend is hiding behind a rock filming the whole thing so the world can see it later. I remember one time a friend of mine hired a Frank Sinatra impersonator and proposed to his girlfriend while Frank crooned, Fly Me to the Moon. 
And I bet if we really thought about it, we can all think about other stories that we've heard about this, maybe even personal stories that you'd like to share too. But my point is this, that the more elaborate the gesture, the more we remember it. The more elaborate the gesture, the more we respect it. The more elaborate the gesture, the better. And you know, I mean, not even football fans can escape it. As I have a suspicion that either Travis Kelsey or Taylor Swift is going to make some extreme gesture at the Super Bowl tonight. I don't know. That's just my suspicion. But I think that the reason that so many people go to, a, to such elaborate lengths to propose marriage or to ask people to the prom or whatever that may be is because extreme gestures are important to us. Even though they're symbolic, they mean something to us because the effort that goes into certain gestures points to a larger reality. They carry a meaning beyond just the act itself. And whether it's a marriage proposal or renewing your wedding vows, it says, I'm willing to go to this much effort. I'm going to go through this much embarrassment and make a fool of myself. I'm willing to risk this much or spend this kind of money. And if I'm willing to do all that, I must really care. I must really love you. You know, this is how far I'm willing to go. This is what I'm willing to do to make you believe me. This is how much I'm willing to give. Well, in Genesis chapter 15, we read about a time when God made an extreme gesture to Abram. So if you would turn to our scripture passage for today, it's Genesis 15 verses 1 through 8. And we're just going to read the first part of this story, but I'm going to reference it so you can find it on page 12 in your pew Bibles if you'd like to keep that handy to read over or to, to refer to as we continue the sermon today. But it begins in chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then God brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then the Lord said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray.
Amen. When God wanted to show Abram how serious he was about keeping his promise, God made an extreme gesture called a covenant. Genesis chapter 15, and indeed the whole story of Abram, is about learning to trust God and his promises. Now think about this. Even after God had singled out Abram to be his instrument of blessing, even after saving his life and his wife when they went down to Egypt, even after God made him rich, even after God made him victorious over all of those Mesopotamian kings, even after all of that, Abram was still not convinced that he could trust God to give him children, to give him an heir. And Abram said to God, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Abram saying, How are you going to make a great nation out of me if we can't even have one baby? And Sarah and I, we aren't getting any younger, that's for sure. And so as we go through the story of Abram, we're going to see time and time again that Abram's greatest challenge was patience. I mean, thank goodness none of us had that problem. So God promised again. In verse 4, he says, Abram, you are going to have a, a son of your own. And then God took him outside. And the way I picture it is that he, he kind of took him outside and put his arm around Abram. And he told him to look up at the stars. He showed him the stars and he said, look toward heaven. And number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Did Abram believe him? Did Abram still have doubts? Was he still second-guessing God and himself? Who can say what he was feeling at that moment? All we know is that under a galaxy of stars, Abram decided once again to trust God, to stick with the plan and keep doing what God told him to do. Verse 6 says that the Lord that he believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. In other words, Abram believed in God. He trusted God. And God said, that's good enough. Sometimes faith means believing in God. But it means believing in God when the whole world says that you're crazy to believe. Sometimes it means sticking with the plan even when the plan defies common sense or conventional wisdom. Because faith is not a feeling. Faith is a decision to trust God. It's a decision to believe in Him. And in the New Testament... Faith, that decision to trust God, becomes the very Christian definition of righteousness. That even though we fail or fall or deserve nothing from God, we trust in Jesus Christ and bet our lives on Him. And that is enough. 
And Abram said, but how will I know that you will keep your promise? How do I know that I'm not just following you in vain? And the word that he uses here, how will I know, is the Hebrew word yada, the word to know. But it's not just a reference to head knowledge. It's not just a reference to intellectual assent. He was asking, how am I going to know it here? How am I going to know it here? How am I going to feel that fire in my belly, in my heart, in my gut, as well as in my mind? And this time, rather than just repeat the words, God set up a ritual. Now, this is where the story takes a rather strange turn for us. Not only in its content, but also because nowadays people have a very low regard for rituals. But rituals are important because a ritual is a symbolic action signifying a spiritual reality. Let me repeat that. Ritual is a symbolic action signifying a spiritual reality. It is a visible sign of an invisible reality. We tend to think of rituals as silly little superstitious or sentimental ceremonies that we can take or leave at our leisure. But the Bible tells us that rituals signify spiritual realities. So in the Old Testament, sacrifices were not just dues paid to the temple. Repentance was more than just a therapeutic psychological way to get rid of guilt. Uh, Fasting was not just a diet. A wedding is not just a fancied up social contract. And in the New Testament, baptism was not just a family tradition. And the Lord's Supper is not just a reenactment of the Last Supper. Back then, people knew that the rituals that God had and have real supernatural power and meaning. And so God said to Abram, This is the part where it gets a little strange for us. Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the bird's in half. Okay, now let me just take a step back and explain what's happened. So God tells him to bring these animals. Abram is to cut them in half and split them and then set each half heifer, half heifer, half goat, half goat, half ram, half ram, bird, bird. Okay? And think of them kind of on the side of a little ditch where the blood drains down into that ditch in that space between them. Now, here's a little bit of historical background to give you an idea of what's happening and why it's happening. The ritual described here is a type of ritual used by ancient Middle Eastern kings when forming political alliances or making peace treaties. 
In this ritual, the two kings or the parties, after having set it up, would, would come together. The sacrificial animals were cut in half, laid out side by side with a path running down the middle of the halves, which became the channel for the blood of the slain animals. And then the oath maker or makers would walk down the middle of that bloody track through that pooled blood between the animals while reciting the words of the oath or the promise or the covenant. That's how you signed a contract. That's how you made a covenant or a peace treaty in this time and in this way back then. And Genesis says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now let's go a little deeper even. The root of this Hebrew word for covenant is the word berit. And the word berit means literally to cut. To cut. It's an allusion, allusion, to the sacrifices involved in ancient covenant making. It's an expression that we even use now today. Hence our expression, to cut a deal. But as the word implies, covenant, cutting, is a promise tied to a sacrifice. Now, when we use the word covenant, we usually think of something like a legal contract. But a berit, this biblical covenant, is more like a promise. Think of it like making your wedding vows. I promise to be your loving and faithful wife. I promise to be your loving and faithful husband, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, forsaking all others for the rest of my days. But even this real covenant involves sacrifice because if you really dig down into what those words mean, what one is saying to another is, to love you and to have you in my life, I will give up my material comfort I'll give up my health. I will give up my non-accountable, carefree independence, my self-centeredness, outside distractions, and even other options and escape routes. I give it all up for your sake. That's the sacrifice. We also know that ancient covenants had other elements. A covenant has expectations. And if those expectations are not met, then there are consequences. And the purpose of the blood sacrifice was essentially for the covenanting parties to say symbolically, if I break my promise, may I be slaughtered or cut like this animal. May I suffer the same fate. It was an ancient form of the old expression, you know, cross my heart and hope to die Stick a needle in my eye. Only it was cross my heart and hope to die, cut me in half and leave me rotting in the sun. In the ancient world, bloody rituals like this were used to convey that this is serious. This is a commitment that we are making and it is a life and death commitment. This extreme gesture meant if I break this promise, May I be slaughtered like these animals. This is a blood oath. And in this covenant with Abram, God said, this is how serious I am about my promises to you.
God was saying, you are so important to me that I'm willing to put my own name on the line. I'm willing to put my honor, my reputation on the line, and even my own blood on the line for you. Because there's nothing higher by which God may make a pledge than his own name and his own reputation. But here is where this particular ritual deviated from the usual treaty rituals. Usually in the ancient world, rather than walking through, excuse me, usually in the ancient world, the two signatories of the party of the treaty would walk through the carcasses together. But, but rather than, in this case, rather than walking through the carcasses together, God, if you read down into this chapter a little farther, God put Abram into a deep sleep, so deep that the Bible describes it as a terrible darkness. And then, in a vision, we see a smoking fire pot a brazier, and a flaming torch pass between the cut animals. And in the vision, God told Abram what was going to happen to his people. First, his descendants would be enslaved for 400 years in a foreign land, but God would bring them back to this land of Canaan with great wealth. And he also told him that Abram, yes, would die in peace, but his descendants would have to fight for God's truth and for this land. And so over 500 years before it happened, God told Abram about the exodus from Egypt. So back to the story. Now ordinarily, as I said, the two parties of the covenant would walk between the sacrifices together. But remember, Abram was over there asleep. So why didn't Abram walk through the middle of those sacrifices? Beloved, it's because the Lord took his place. In this vision, the flaming torch and the flaming pot of the brazier, these two lights passed through, one representing the God who made the covenant, the other representing the Lord who fulfills the covenant. The Lord himself is going to hold up both sides of the equation. The Lord is both the promise maker and the promise fulfiller. Now again, let's step back and look. And let's consider a question. How can you make someone believe you? How do you get someone to take you seriously? How do you get someone to trust you? Sometimes the only way that you can make someone trust you is with an extreme gesture. And usually that extreme gesture involves some sort of risk or sacrifice. You put your pride on the line and make a fool of yourself to ask someone to marry you. You put up earnest money, which you may very well lose if the contract on the house is broken. You put your wealth on the line, investing your money behind a new idea, even though it's risky. You put your reputation on the line by vouching for someone as a reference. You swear an oath 
that says, I believe in this country so much that I'm willing to sign up and put my life on the line to defend it. Or you say, I believe in the gospel so much that I'm willing to give up my comfort and my safety to share it on the mission field. When Abram asked God how he would know that he's going to possess the land, how he would know that God is going to keep his promises, how he would know that he would have children, God's answer was, I'm not just giving you my word. I've made my pledge, and I've put my name on it, and I've signed it in blood. It's important for us to understand this ancient event because it's important for us to understand how serious God is about us. I've had so many people, I've had so many conversations with people lately who say, I just don't know if I believe that God still cares about me. How do I know that I can trust God? How do I know that He loves me? What God was saying to Abraham is this. He was saying, I know that you're beginning to wonder. My child, I know that you're beginning to doubt. I know that your patience is wearing thin. I know that the criticism from others is grinding you down. I know that it seems like forever from the time you pray a prayer to hearing any kind of answer. But even when you doubt, even when you don't feel it, I want you to look back to this moment. And remember what I was willing to put on the line for you. And remember that I am serious about fulfilling my promises. Remember, a ritual is a symbolic action pointing to a spiritual reality. This bloody ritual was an extreme gesture pointing to the reality of God's commitment to fulfill His promise to Abram. But then, God has made an even more important gesture for us. 2,000 years ago, God made an extreme, painful sacrifice of love to prove His commitment to us. The crucifixion of Jesus was an extreme gesture that proved the reality of God's love. For us. On the cross, God was saying, This is what I am willing to do to make you believe me. This is how far I'm willing to go. This is how serious I am about my love for you. It was an extreme gesture showing His commitment and love. And by His action, Jesus was saying, I'm not only willing to put my name and my reputation on the line, but I'm willing to suffer pain and shame and even death for you. Here is the gospel before the gospel. The good news in this strange story. God 
made a covenant with Abram for his generations. But God knew that we would never meet the expectations of that covenant. And so for our sake, the Son of God became the Son of Man to to fulfill the conditions that we could never fulfill. He lived the life that we could never live and suffered the consequences that we deserve to suffer so that we could receive the promises of God. Jesus took our place in the consequences so that we could take his place in the blessing. He is both the brazier and the torch. This week, we will experience the providential conjunction of two great celebrations of love. This year, the season of Lent begins on Valentine's Day, Ash Wednesday, February 14th. And I think this is a providential conjunction because both Lent and Valentine's Day are about expressions of love. Valentine's Day is all about how we express our love to one another. And Lent is about remembering how God and Jesus Christ expressed His love for us through His death and resurrection. The cross was the supreme gesture of God's love for us. On the cross, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became the Lamb of sacrifice. He became the penalty for our sin. And Jesus shed real blood. And His body was really nailed to the cross to prove how far God would go in His love for us. And beloved, understand that this is not just a generic gesture to all of humanity. On the cross, Jesus said, this is how serious I am about you. Not just everyone, but about you in particular. He knows you. He knows you by name. He knows what makes you happy. He knows what makes you sad. He knows what keeps you up at night. He knows your secret sins and your hidden talents and your lost failures. And he gave his life to say, you matter to him. Nothing in creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And whenever we doubt, we can look back to that moment and see just how far God is going, is willing to go to keep His promises to us. Robert Burns said, My love is like a red, red rose. But this promise of love, sealed in the red, red blood of Christ, is given so that we will trust Him with our lives just as Abraham did, knowing that he will love us 
until all the seas have gone dry. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, sometimes we are left at this point wondering what should we do? How do we respond to your word? And Lord, what you are calling us right now to do is just to open our eyes and open our hearts and understand the height and depth and width and length of how far you were willing to go to prove your love for us. Lord, help us to take that step of faith, that decision to trust you and to bet our lives on you, to follow you, and to love you because you have loved us. Lord, I know that there are people here today who have, who have doubted your love for them, who have become impatient. And I just pray, oh God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would open their hearts and minds to see the proof of your love and give them the patience correspondingly to wait upon you with expectant hearts. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.